Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, I hope you had a great weekend. I uh, just got back from Michigan early this morning, about 3.30 in the morning. I rolled in from Manchester, Michigan. I was at the Wilderness Connection Wild Game Dinner there. I was the the main speaker at the event talking about do-it-yourself, western hunting, how to plan those uh, type of adventures broke it down all the way through what your you know expectations could be down to budgeting and the the whole planning phases there so high level 45 minute presentation was really cool i wish i was able to record that presentation and uh so i hope to do a podcast here soon to kind of talk about what i did in that presentation i i've realized that we've dug into a ton of topics, you know, over the last 50, I guess 51 episodes now in the podcast that, you know, each of them has their own resource that, you know, hopefully is giving you some education on planning uh, adventure style hunts, entertaining from that standpoint, and then also just inspiring through stories and listening to to, uh, the amazing guests that I've had on here. But I really want to have a podcast that lays it out from beginning to end, a very high-level overview of the steps to go through planning a Western hunt. I have Corey Jacobson coming on here soon, and I think we're going to dive into a lot of them topics. And if it doesn't cover exactly what I'm looking for from that standpoint, then I, I will do a whole separate podcast, maybe just by myself diving into the steps to to plan that so be looking for something along those lines to come out so let's get into the partners of the podcast here so university of elk hunting by elk 101 and Corey jacobson it's your premier elk hunting resource from beginning to end from the planning stages all the way through elk hunting knowledge calling everything else it's a all-encompassing resource there and the number one resource that I've found for elk hunting specifically um, in the in the Western United States. So Corey was kind enough to give a, a discount code for the East Meets West listeners. And that is just East Meets West. Enter that in at checkout and you'll save $20 on the, the program for the year. Also, Heather's Choice. So healthy backpacking meal options for hunting, hiking, camping, everything else dehydrated meals if you haven't tried out their pack room snacks yet i'd highly recommend them and uh, so we have a code also there east meets west will get you free shipping on all orders over 99 dollars. and now for this podcast and going forward we added another partner and it shouldn't be uh, a name that's you know out of recognition to anyone that's listened before as i've talked about this company a lot and have used them for quite a while now this will be the fourth season i believe going into using maven optics so maven i have been working trade shows for them for the last three years in harrisburg and really like the company it's a small company you know with only seven full-time employees very customer service based 
and just putting out super high quality optics with uh, the direct to consumer um, business plan that's allows them to put out the you know high quality the highest quality glass at an affordable price so maven is partnering with us and i i again this is something that i've never had an official affiliation with maven but really really supported the company and liked them for a long time and and they've been really great to me so maven is doing a special deal for the podcast listeners here that if you enter in East Meets West dash gift at checkout, you'll get a free gift with any optics order off of their website. So you can build custom optics. You can get stock optics ranging anywhere from $200 up to $1,400. And and then also spotting scopes, rifle scopes, they've added to that, to that list now with some new options coming out here in 2019 that one specifically I'm um, really excited about so so again maven will be a partner here and we're going to we're going to be diving into the podcast here with robbie kroger who is the founder of blood origins this is one of the most interesting podcasts today because robbie is a well he's just an interesting guy coming from south africa you know getting into hunting a little bit later than in life than most of us and his perception on things and his story as he gets into hunting in Denmark just a few weeks ago is a really cool story. And we dive into a lot more than just the Denmark trip as far as, you know, how hunting is something that's within us and, and within all of us in some uh, sort of things, just depending on how, how that's brought out. So awesome episode coming up here. Give it a listen. And if you like it, you know, subscribe, download, and uh, leave a rating and review if you would. Thanks. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. Tonight, I have on the line a special guest, Robbie Kroger. Robbie uh, is someone that I met finally in person here recently at the ATA show uh, out in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And I was super pumped to meet Robbie as I've listened to him on some podcasts with Beyond the Kill and Adam Yonke, as well as being able to follow along with his project Blood Origins, which uh, we'll get into here. But anyways, Robbie, how are you doing tonight? Man, I'm better than I deserve, Bo. Thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, I, I love the idea, the concept of the podcast, sort of East meets West, right? It's this uh, this almost this, this Eastern hunter that wants to become a Western hunter, but you're faced with, well, you're not, you're not faced with the problems that I'm faced with down here. My Eastern hunting is flat land, on the beach, zero mountains to speak of. At least you have a couple of mountains to, to train on before you go into the Western uh, hunting hemisphere <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely true i i i am uh you know coming from the east that is i am lucky living in the appalachian range that you know we still have some you know what i even consider mountains uh, a little bit less after i started going to the rocky mountains but right. uh still it's it is nice to be able to kind of train and, and live in the area that i do so yeah. robbie where where are you from 
originally, obviously, I'm from Johannesburg, South Africa. I live in Mississippi right now. I live in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi on, on the beach. Um, we don't have any mountains in Mississippi. Uh, our claim to fame is actually we have the toenails of the foothills of the Appalachians. So I don't know if you know that little fact. But um, the uh, yeah, originally from Johannesburg, South Africa, and moved to the States in 2003 to do a PhD um, and have pretty much lived the entire time in Mississippi and um, don't plan to leave, actually. Love Mississippi, love what it stands for, love who, it, who she is. Uh, I love the outdoor lifestyle of Mississippi. I like how slow she is. Um, yeah, that's, that's who I am. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, so it's funny when, when I went to uh, call you here, uh, you know, you'd give me your wife's um, login name for Skype and it was, you know, coming up Bay St. Louis. I'm like, I thought he said he was from Mississippi and I was thinking of St. Louis, <laughs> Missouri. And, uh, that's just, um, my, myself not understanding, I guess, uh, Mississippi as a whole, but <laughs> well, to give, well, to give some context to where Bay St. Louis is, it's about an hour east of new Orleans, just inside the Mississippi line. And, uh, what everybody doesn't know is that Katrina, everyone saw the, the devastation of new Orleans through Katrina, Katrina, actually the eye of Katrina went through Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And sort of essentially wiped Bay St. Louis off the map when when Katrina hit, took the bridge out, took everything out. And um, this town has rebuilt itself, has, has revived itself. And uh, it's a beautiful little town, 11,000 people. Um, just exactly what you think a small little quiet coastal town is supposed to be. And then you have a, a random South African who's into hunting heritage living <laughs> in it. <you> know. <laughs> That's funny. Is that, is, I'm sure that was a, a big difference coming from you know johannesburg south africa was that oh, yeah. kind of a, a just a whole new world for you oh yeah you know not from a diversity perspective but you know just the lifestyle was a you know completely different world you know south africa there's obviously we have a lot of crime and a lot of violence and i came from a town of eight and a half million people my mother used to say that i would have geographically impossible girlfriends living in johannesburg i'd have to drive like an hour and 15 minutes one direction to pick them up for a date. That's how you know, big a town I lived in. And then I moved to Oxford, Mississippi. That is a college student town that's known for, known for college football, known for partying. And there were 18,000 people in the town. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with small town America. And, and ever since, I've went from Oxford to Starkville, Starkville to Bay St. Louis. And I just I'd never see myself in another big city ever again. I just I don't deal with traffic anymore. I don't deal with people very very well. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a loner type person, and, uh, and my road rage, my South African road rage, would 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 come out if there was any more traffic that I deal with now on a, on a daily basis. I have my my regular guy that I I drive with. Um, I, I'm I'm German from a from an ancestry perspective, so I'm very structured. So. I wake up at the same time every day, four o'clock in the morning. I'm on the road by, you know, four twenty-five because I've done everything I need to do to get to the gym. And there seems to be another guy on the road, and we just—it's just like clockwork. We know each other, and there's the only two cars that are on the road at four twenty-five. Yeah, heading where we're going. So uh, yeah, that's funny. It, it, I'm, I'm similar as far as the structure point goes. I, I get up at four fifteen every morning and go to the gym. And that's it's the same thing. I love it. I I, I live in a. Well, I grew up in a small town, and of around twenty eight hundred people, 
and so really small and then had moved to uh, a suburb of the city which was I would consider it a city to me from just, you know, not uh, being around the traffic and stuff like that. And then just recently, a few months ago, I moved back to uh, the same small town and it's, uh, I, I definitely don't miss the traffic. That's for sure. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So Robbie, would you like to kind of dive into your background? Let's, let's go back to South Africa and mm-hmm. tell your story with, with where you grew up and, and kind of how you grew up. Yeah, sure. So sort of born and raised essentially in Johannesburg, South Africa, um, you know, raised in a family that, as I understood it, was steeped in hunting heritage. But unfortunately, I've never got an opportunity to hunt in South Africa. As I said, I lived in a big city. I didn't live out in the country. And there is hunting opportunities if you are out in the country. But for the majority, if you're a city guy, there's there's no public land. There's no public seasons. There's no public licenses. You can't, you know, it's very difficult to own guns, very difficult to get ammunition for the guns if you did own them. Um, you know, I grew up going to Mozambique pretty much all of my all of my childhood. That's where my, my grandparents immigrated to from Germany in the 50s. And my grandfather lived the heyday of African hunting, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And that's what my dad was essentially as a teenage boy grew up in. And you know, the stories that he tells and, and and he didn't tell me many stories when I was growing up, which is, is strange. I think a lot of people would say, well, that that seems weird. Like we never had the sit around the campfire or sit around the, the log fire in a house or sit on couches and listen to, you know, I called him Dedushka, Dedushka's grandfather in Russian and listen to Dedushka talk about hunting buffalo and hunting elephants and leopards and stuff like that. It just never happened. Neither did it happen with my father. And I think the reason why we never got it was that the paradise that they lived was essentially gone. Like the revolution had occurred in Mozambique and the landscape had been raped um, essentially through civil war and conflict and poverty. And and obviously South Africa was a situation I just described. And so never really had any opportunity to hunt at all whilst I was in South Africa. Uh, And um, my grandfather, you know, was just, as I said, just, he was the man. He was, he 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 hunted with the names of hunting in Mozambique, Robert Ruark and Fred Bear and and others. He was one of the first PhDs in the hunting concession in Mozambique. He, in the twenties and thirties, he was actually he was actually raised. He was born in in northeast Russia uh, near Siberia, and in the twenties and thirties and forties, essentially was was a hunter gatherer by necessity at one point in his life, and um, and really just lived the heyday of that hunting mecca you know, hunting red deer and the Siberian tiger. You know, he's the only guy that I know of. I've never seen any written piece of anyone hunting pheasants in Tibet. He hunted pheasants, white-eared pheasants in Tibet, uh, hunted pheasants in China before it obviously closed for, for hunting. And uh, so that's, you know, I, that that's how I was sort of raised. And when I came to the States, I almost started realizing what – what that was as I grew up and, and started reading my grandfather's stories again and reading his, his, his book again and, and really getting exposed to hunting culture from the American side of things and, and realizing what this thing was. And, and yeah, that's just sort of how I came to be what I was, what I am today. Um, so definitely a unique, grow, uh, you know, growing up experience, no doubt. Um, 
and obviously in South Africa, the growing up is as a as a young boy, you want to be a game ranger. So I, I wanted to be that guy who took everyone on the Land Rover and showed them the elephants and the lions and the leopards. And I did that, and and quickly realized that that wasn't going to be a career that I could make any money in. <laughs> um, and so I studied and and went to university, and that's what brought me to the states. And I got a PhD in biology, and I was a professor in, in a wildlife fisheries department. Um, wetland. I'm a wetland ecologist by training. That's my background. I'm swamps is my thing swamps is what i'm good at it's what i'm known as and uh that sort of led me who i am today i'm the chief scientist of a small consulting company and um i build i'm a restoration ecologist by by the nature of the game essentially so i build restoration in the state of mississippi for the state in, in support of the state uh as a result of the bp oil spill and so um on a daily basis i'm building oyster reefs and thinking about how we resuscitate and restore marsh, coastal marsh. How do we build barrier islands back? How do we buy land to restore uh, coastal uh, temperate forests? That kind of stuff. So a varied, varied career up until this point, but a very, you know, extremely blessed. And obviously the Lord has led me to exactly this place in time. So uh, that was a long answer to a very simple question. No, no, that's what—that's exactly what I was looking for. That, so that's that's interesting to me, and and it makes a lot of sense now why why you ended up picking Mississippi too. I mean, I know you said that you know you went to uh, university for your PhD and everything, but as far as your your um, focus there with swamps and marshes and everything else, I, I think you found a good place to be for that. <laughs> Absolutely, no, it, it's been it's been phenomenal actually. Really phenomenal. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a good friend of mine now that I've met through through the hunting industry, and he he lives in Mississippi, and he keeps telling me I need to come down there and experience it. And he he basically lives in one of the swamps and 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 gets to hunt and and he's really big into waterfowl hunting and and yeah. everything else. And what's his name? Uh, Corey Adams. He owns a company called Swamp Assassin. It's an apparel company. Okay, cool. So cool. yeah, really, really cool guy. I was just with him at the Harrisburg show here recently. And, uh, he was telling me again, he's like, you got to come down and experience it. So, and we always, we always laugh at each other because, um, the, the way that, that I, I pronounce things as he says i have a canadian accent and and then his <laughs> deep south uh, accent him and i always go back and forth and, and and joke he's like you gotta have the north meets south instead of east meets west i said all right we'll we'll, we'll make that happen <laughs> yeah you definitely need to do that and i would challenge you you need to do that podcast in the timber in the swamp whilst you boys are duck hunting together oh that would be great that would be awesome so you were saying like so you didn't hunt um really at all when you were in South Africa then from the sounds of it. No, the only hunting I ever did was I did two almost like pigeon hunts or dove hunts on a sunflower field and they were more nuisance hunts than anything. And that was literally the only hunting I ever did. Um but it's funny, you know, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about blood origins, but when I was 16 years old, my grandfather had he, he when myself and my brother turned 16, my grandfather said, I'm going to give you a trip. And I don't know why, but about a year before this trip was supposed to happen, I'd, I'd watched this movie and it's obviously tied to who Blood Origins is. And it's amazing. And if you haven't watched it and if you readers haven't heard about this film, it's an incredible film, but I can, I've got it on VHS and I'm staring at it right now. It's called in the blood. 
and it's a VHS about Teddy Roosevelt the fourth when he's 16 years old and he goes to Tanzania and he uses uh, the original Teddy Roosevelt side by side 600 Nitro Express, I believe, to to kill a buffalo. Um, but it's a phenomenal piece, phenomenal piece of work, and um, that was sort of the inspiration to what I did. And I came to my grandfather. And I don't know what I, I I can't remember what I said to him, but I must have said, "Hey, I'm interested in hunting." And uh, <clears throat> what that resulted in is a letter that he typed to me, and it was written in 1992, and it was typewritten on the fine rice paper that they used to write typewrite on. And uh, the opening stanza of the letter says, I'm so glad you came to hunting by yourself because it must be in the blood, quote unquote. Now, I don't know if it was tied to the film in the blood or he was just saying it. But that was essentially, if if you summed up my hunting experience prior to coming to the United States, that was it. Huh, okay. And so then when you came to the United States, is that something that you knew you wanted to do and take advantage of the opportunities that we had here to, to be able to hunt? Oh, no, no, no. You would, you would, that would have been a brilliant story, but no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> no, it was more like I, you know, I, I got to know a very good friend of mine, Landon Lee. He's, I call him my big redneck buddy. He's six foot five, 250 pounds. And we got on like a house on fire and he just happened to hunt and so it took me about a year and a half and he just invited me to come hunting and that's how it almost just started right just come hunting and it was deer hunting obviously to start with here in the south and then as he got excited about bow hunting i got excited about bow hunting and then it was dove hunting and a little bit of duck hunting but you know i'm, I'm a poor phd student at that point you know i'm all i can afford is a set of bibs from from walmart and um I bought a gun. I remember buying a gun off gunbroker.com and it took me like 25 days to get it through the FBI clearance process and the whole kit and caboodle was the cheapest gun. It was a, it was a caliber that like nobody heard of before. It was a, a Ruger short action Ultramag, seven millimeter short action Ultramag. Okay. And uh, I've still got it today. And that's how it started. But And it was just the classic, uh, you know, I laugh and tell people that, yeah, I'm a 40-year-old man, but I'm a 13-year-old when it comes to hunting because I've literally only been hunting for 15 years and really only seriously hunting considering, you know, what I've done in the last two to three years. And it was almost like a switch inside me that was like, okay, I've got to stop liking to hunt but loving to hunt. And that was almost the switch from like to love. And uh, I actually wrote a story about it. It was a duck hunt in, in Arkansas where almost the switch happened. It was one of those days that you woke up. I woke up at like 4.30. I think our alarms were going off at 5. And at 4.30, you could hear the, the rain just pelting on the, the tin roof. And it was like, in my brain, I was like, ah, we're not going hunting. This is, you know, this is stupid weather, you know, really stupid weather. <laughs> and alarm goes off. I, you know, mosey on downstairs thinking everyone's going to be like, ah, don't worry, we're not going out hunting. And everyone's sticking on their gear like waiters and whatnot. And I'm looking at everybody going, you've got to be joking. You've seen the weather outside. And almost it was like a face of, I had obviously had a face of trepidation on me and like, what is, are we, are you sure about what we're about to do? <laughs> and they looked at me and they're like, we're going to shoot their faces off right now. And I said, all right, okay. <laughs> and it was almost like this. I knew I was, I was, and you've, you've been there, done that. And the people that listen to your podcast have, but just think of somebody who's never been in a situation from a hunting perspective that that has forced themselves into a situation that they know was going to be uncomfortable, that was that you knew it was going to be painful, that you knew it was going to be something that 
you know, you're just going to grit and, grit and bear it kind of thing, right? It wasn't something like I used to, which was like, well, it's not, you know, it's supposed to be nice. It's supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be sunny. It's supposed to be, hey, don't get muddy on the way to the blind kind of thing. Yeah. And we went out there and it was brutal. The wind was pumping. The rain was coming in sideways. We walked into the pond and like, you know, it's probably 33, 34 degrees, just above freezing. Um, my waders started leaking immediately. Like everything was wet, but it was the most amazing duck hunt I have ever, ever, ever been on. Like they came in like they wanted to be where we were. And at one point, it was just like you just hunker down and watched the show, you know? You had ducks coming into the wind that you didn't have to lead, and there were ducks going with the wind that you had to lead by 300 feet, essentially. And you were still dropping them, you know? And you were like, what is this? And that's it. That was the flip. That was the switch that was like, okay, I get it now. I get it. And that's what started it. And, you know, obviously having two boys has also sort of fueled that a little bit more and fueled – my desire to become a better hunter and to understand, you know, what to hunt, how to hunt, because, you know, they're going to need a, a mentor mm-hmm. and I'm going to be that mentor to them. I can't really be a mentor if I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that well, that's the excuse I tell sense. my wife. That's the excuse to tell my wife to why I have to hunt so much right now. <laughs> Does it work? I, I, maybe sometimes, you know, <laughs> for those of you that aren't married on the podcast, you know, it's a definite strategy, but those that are married are like, yeah, we can see through him. See, no, that's, that's why, that's why I'm trying to learn here. You know, I get, I get to learn these strategies for when that, right. that time comes, you know, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's funny. So it's funny how, like when you go on those type of hunts or you have those experiences that are out of your comfort zone, how much it changes, changes you. And, and, you know, that was and I've t- talked about it on the podcast before, but like my, when I, my first Western hunt, first time backpacking into a wilderness area for seven days and just how uncomfortable I was and, and as prepared as I thought I was, how I was unprepared. And when you're in a, you know, a lightning storm at you know, 11,000 feet elevation on the mountains and there's winds blowing and the hail's coming in and, and everything else. And you're just, you know, you're like, yeah, I can't believe people do this. And then, once it's over, you're just like you're longing for more of that, and mm-hmm. and it's 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 seriously amazing, and 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 again, a lot of people on the podcast have experienced that type of stuff, and I think that's why we all come back to it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, man. Totally agree with you. And so that that is, if if I'm understanding correctly here, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is this kind of what brought you into? what your project is now with blood origins or how, how did that start? Yeah, it was, uh, it did. It, it was one leg essentially of it. My wife and I, Lisa and I were talking about, you know, storytelling. I would say this is three legs to what started blood origins. One was obviously this, this change in me of wanting to be a better hunter and understanding now what's actually connecting me to my heritage, connecting me back to my past. And that, that's essentially what was in my blood. Uh, number two was the idea. Number two was number two and number three was spurned by the idea that I was watching everything on outdoor television and sportsman's channel, and I just started getting not dis- not disgusted, but just I was just not enamored with it. I was like, "This is boring. This is not us. This is fake. This is 
it's not authentic anymore. And you can even 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 now when I watch even newer sh- no new shows, I'm just like, how, who judged who? Did nobody watch this before it got put on the outdoor channel? I understand all you have to do is pay a lot of money and you get on the outdoor channel nowadays. But it was like, okay, we've lost our authenticity. And the and so and that spurned in the third leg, which was we've also lost our ability to storytell. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to tell people stories. And and I wanted to tell them in such a way that people could connect with those stories. And so we've that's why we we caught we we created the Blood Origins project, which is essentially a representation of your origins, a representation of what our DNA is 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 telling us, and and that DNA right now is telling everybody it's all about hunting, which is the point of the project. But who knows, you know, where we go towards the end of 2019 and 2020, because there's this line, the sort of blurring of 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 what hunting actually means to different people, and so it's it's really a and i'll say this last thing before um i shut up but it's <laughs> it's it's really when when we created the project i also didn't want it to be a ha 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 laughy 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 type project i wanted it to have a specific avenue and bo i don't know how many people have told me man you it's just it's too heavy it's 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 just it's too emotional. And I said no. That's exactly what we need. We need something that is has a definitive lane, and that's who we are. And it's in getting in touch with a side that nobody ever gets to see. It's this emotional side. It's this intimate side. It's the side of us that speaks to our heart, which is the whole point of the project, showing the true heart of a hunter. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to steer away from that. And, and a lot of people say, oh, it's just, you know, let's make it a little bit more lighthearted. And I'm like, no, uh, you know, you can go get lighthearted stuff all day long on the outdoor channel and the sportsman channel and wherever you want. You know, there's, there's, there's funny ha-ha-ha stuff everywhere. There's no intimate emotional content about who we are as hunters anyway. I, I, I don't know of it. I'm, I think we're the only project, po- you know, pushing that, pushing that button right now. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly, and I, I would agree with you. And like I said, the first time I heard you talk about this, you know, on Adam's podcast, and it just it got me really interested. And I, you know, so I started looking up the project, and I believe it was in the beginning stages at the the first point when I had listened to it, and I was like, this is completely different than anything that that's out there to date, and. I, see, I like that. I love the storytelling aspect, kind of, you know, in a, a long way around how I got into outdoor writing and loved, you know, talking about a hunt from a different perspective rather than, oh, I went out and it was a great day and I, you know, I killed something. You know, talking about the true emotions that you go through and and the journey to get to that point. And I think with, with Blood Origins and what you're doing, brings that out and I love I love how you put it as far as every pulse has a story and you know every and I'm going to quote you here from from uh, what is on you know your your about section on the website about everyone has is a product of their past led by the old inspired by the young and blood origins is dedicated to inspiring and reigniting hunting heritage and that reading those words I mean they're heavy in their own um, to read that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that accurately depicts 
what you're trying to do within it. And there's a, there's a few of them specifically that, that I've watched that were really like, I watched it and I'm like, I wanted to keep going. You know, it was just <laughs> one of those things. I mean, the, the, the one that you did with in season two, episode one with, with, uh, the late Jason Harrison mountain sure. soul. That is an am- sure. amazing piece. Yeah. It, I'm getting goosebumps right now, man. It's just like, it was an amazing piece. And, you know, why did we, why did we title it my mountain soul? Yeah. You know, I couldn't tell you why, but I can tell you why now. Yeah. No, that's, no, you couldn't, you couldn't have, uh, you know, if, even if you would have known what was going to happen, you wouldn't have, I don't know how you would have picked that name, <laughs> but it's it's that piece and is and I, I've watched it I bet a half a dozen times now and the one from that you know Jason's has always inspired me just through his just different way of of going about things and and his and just going against the grain with everything but that piece really hit home with me you know as well as some of the other ones you know with Will Primos and and Jim Shockey and and all of the other ones that you've had they all have a unique avenue to it and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. really dive into it and like they like said it's not something that you just you put on your television and as you're walking around your house doing something you know when I'm watching it I'm fully encompassed yeah. in it and yeah. I love that about it well that's what we wanted right i want you to turn it on and the way we film, I want you to almost get sucked into your screen, right? I want you to just be like enamored with their eyes, enamored with what they're saying and and almost forget that uh, all of a sudden six minutes has gone by. And as you said, you're like, you want more. And I've had a lot of people, you know, we've had some short ones, like three minute ones and four minute ones. And I've had people uh, message me and goes, Where's the, where can I watch the full episode of this? I'm like, no, 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 that is the full episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the trailer. That is the full episode. And and, and we're, we've got some thoughts about how do we, how do we give people longer, to, longer content. Um, and so 2019 will be, you know, just like we've been doing in 2018, 2019 will be, you know, we're going to try and continue to step as far outside the box as we possibly can and, and, and as far as we can get away with it. Um, you know, the known and the unknown hunters side by side is what we're going to, we're going to continue to do. We're also, we're going to have a lot more strong female hunters in 2019. Um, we've got some just ludicrous stories already filmed and, and lined up coming. Um, we've done, we've partnered with a couple of people. We've got some, uh, some true real time sort of hunting as conservation stories coming out of coming out of Africa that we're going to, that we're going to push through our platform, which is exciting. Um, we've got some crazy journeys coming in 2019. You know, we had the two journeys in 2018, my Barbary sheep hunt and then the living legacy journey. And if you, if you haven't watched the living legacy journey, have you watched the living legacy journey? I have not. No. Okay you and all your followers need to do yourself a favor and watch it. It's a story about a group of women in Aberdeen, South Dakota in 1943, at the height of world war two became Patriots by serving the soldiers going to war pheasant sandwiches. And it's a story about how the pheasant hunters of the community banded together under extreme measures of austerity 
limiting shotgun shells, limiting gas rations. And the Wildlife Fisheries Department at the time said, if you're serving the pheasants to the canteen, you can shoot as many pheasants as you want. And so these ladies created this pheasant sandwich, almost like a chicken salad sandwich, to feed the soldiers. And they were doing this all for free. 800 soldiers a day, 500, 800 soldiers a day coming through the Aberdeen South Coast. These women banded together and they fed the soldiers and they got known for it. And the soldiers were like, whoa, we're going to get this pheasant sandwich. That's the cool part of the story. The cooler part of the story is that Miss Bonnie Ellis was 18 years old at the time when she served these sandwiches. She's 93 today and she's still alive. That is insane. And we and we filmed her, and what's even more insane is, is Miss Bonnie served pheasant sandwiches, and then four of her friends died in the war serving their country. And so she decided to enlist herself, and so she enlisted as an army nurse and came through the, the, the train station herself and got a pheasant sandwich and went off to war. Wow. No, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to watch, uh, watch this one after we get off the, the phone, that's for sure. Well, look, this is, that's the point, right? This is a yeah. story about hunters, a story about how hunters were patriots serving this country, a story that nobody's ever heard. And it's, it's almost the epitome of blood origins. It's, it's, we're, we're, we're trying to find those stories and tell stories, tell stories about hunters that nobody's ever heard of before. I, I'll tell you this, uh, probably in a month's time, I don't have an exact release date yet, probably a month's time or, or six weeks' time. I don't know when this podcast will drop, so I will say the beginning of March, middle of March, we're going to drop a duck film that is going to turn on its head what a duck film is supposed to look like. That's that's interesting to me because, well, yeah, I, I, I've never seen a, a duck film that was anything other than people shooting a bunch of ducks so i'm really exactly. interested to see how the, how this you one turns absolutely out. <laughs> just nailed it and i'll tell you this no one has ever seen a duck hunting film like the one we just produced we're gonna we're gonna shake up what it's supposed to look like oh man i'm, I'm excited about that and you said middle of march are you are you putting yourself to the you holding yourself down to the the wall here or what? <laughs> well, I actually we've got no, we've actually it's just a matter of strategy now. I actually watched the like ninety eight percent version today, oh. and it is. Uh, it, I, I'm not I'm not creating hype when I say that what we created, just based on who is in it, how we filmed it, and the objective and purpose behind the film, because we approached it. I. I I'll, I'll tell you this. I approached it by how do we show a duck hunting film that a non-hunter will look at and go, hmm, okay, I think I get duck hunting now. Interesting. I'm, I'm, yeah, you, you've, you've got me intrigued as far as that goes. Like I said, I just never, I've never seen a duck hunting film that was other than, you know, a bunch of guys going out and shooting a whole bunch of ducks. And let's just say what, what the, the, the sentence you just captured, a bunch of guys going out, shooting a bunch of ducks, put a line straight through that sentence. That is what we just created. Okay, I, I'm you got my head spinning right now trying to figure out what you did, but I'm I, I'm pumped to check this out. 
Yeah. So that that's that's 2019, man. We, we've got some great stories coming. We've got some great uh, content coming, and uh, hopefully, some of that content is tied to uh, our first foray, almost into well. I wouldn't say our first foray internationally. We went to Canada and got Jim Shockey's, but I don't. You know, is it bad to say Canada's not internationally in my mind? No, uh, I, I agree. <laughs> but we went to Denmark, and uh, it was a spur of the moment trip. Um, and um, wait, just, that, hold on, that doesn't make sense in its own. A spur of the moment trip to Denmark, <laughs> hunting yeah, trip. Yeah, so I, I will, uh, and so. So this is the brainchild of I've been talking face I've been FaceTiming it's amazing Instagram's an amazing thing when you start connecting people with with the same values. I've been talking to over Instagram over text message and we started FaceTiming um, a hunting lobbyist in Denmark. His name is David Peterson, um, and he started. We've we've talked a lot about Denmark and a lot of people won't know this, but Denmark is probably the most hunting progressive country in the world right now. Denmark is expanding hunting regulations across the board. Bow hunting regulations are expanding. Falconry is expanding, as well as seasons and and and, and for for different game species in Denmark. So it's a phenomenal. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Case study for why. How are you doing this? How is this? How is the story unfolding that you're happening to in in a world where it seems like hunting opportunities are shrinking? Why is it expanding in Denmark? And his answer was, we 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 tell the truth. We tell the truth about who we are as hunters. We tell the truth about where what we're doing it for, which is typically the meat, the, the food culture, the game food culture in Denmark is massive. Um, you can serve wild game in restaurants. Um, and so all of us out of the blue, to make a long story short, out of the blue, David invites me and uh, some folks out of Iceland, some folks out of Scotland and a bunch of hunters in, in, in Denmark to come to his family farm who's been in his family for 60 years that they've restored just like a, a – it's almost like a deer lease, but it's not a deer lease, but it's their own farm. And they've restored the forest and they cut the forest and they have open areas and food plots and whatnots. And he said, why don't you come and do a traditional driven hunt in Denmark? And I was like, man, I'm if I can get there, I'm in. And, and we, we went. And uh, it was – and this is what's funny about it, right? A lot of people were like, oh, man, you went – so so you went to Denmark, right? And uh, – did you shoot like a, a really big buck? And I was like, and I'd say, no, I didn't. We weren't even allowed to shoot any bucks. And it would be like, what? You So you went all the way to Denmark to not shoot a, so what did you shoot? And I said, well, I shot a doe. They're like, what? See, you're even stunned. Yeah, no, I, I'm, well, first, I, what I was going to ask was, what what is you saying? It's a deer species, is it? Yeah, roe deer. It's a roe deer. Okay, so that's it's almost the white tail of 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 Europe. Okay, gotcha. And they have both. They had fallow deer, and they they have red deer in the forest, but they haven't seen them in a while. But they have fallow deer, and they have roe deer. But it was a very you know they're managing their herd just like we do. And the driven hunt was, I wasn't a rifle hunter. I didn't want to take a rifle. I took a. I was given a shotgun, and I had 
you know, got my Danish hunting license and I was almost like a quasi, they positioned me, they beat towards me. It was a driven hunt. So there were beaters, they beat towards me. And then I walked with the beaters and we circled some thick, some thick woods and, 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 and caught up with folks. But, you know, just the driven hunt experience, right? The culture and the respect of the animal and the, the safety and the, you know, make sure you can, if you're going to shoot, make sure you can kill that animal. Make sure you can, you know, we're not injuring animals. We're not wounding animals. We're taking ethical shots. Um, if you think you've wounded the animal, do not go and chase the animal. We'll bring bloodhounds in to make sure that we recover that animal. Just incredible, incredible, just community around that hunt. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to, and, and the Danish folks believe that it's probably the first time ever. I, I was fortunate enough to kill a roe deer doe with my shotgun on a driven hunt. Uh, she was literally just hell for leather coming past me. Instinct uh, dropped her in her tracks, uh, shooting a, in a two and three quarter shell with number threes. And people were like, What? two and three quarter shot with a number three and, and that deer died instantaneously. And we caught it on, on film in slow-mo. And, uh, and the guys in Denmark said, I don't think they've ever heard of anybody, you know, American coming with a shot, shooting a, a rodeo with a shotgun on film on a driven hunt in Denmark. So not that, it, not that I care about the first, but the fact that to me, Killing that doe, and to them, me killing that doe was as if I'd killed the gold medal roe deer of Denmark. Huh. So okay, so when you're saying like, uh, so a, a driven hunt, and so you're having some guys lined up, you know, on on one side, and you're coming through the thicket and kind of it, pushing the deer out to them. Is that is that if I'm understanding correctly? Yes and no. So this is a very much more sophisticated driven hunt. Okay. So there are there are um, obviously rifle shooters placed in high seats, and this driven hunt is split. They they split the forest in two. We're going to do a morning and a, an afternoon, and there's two sets of beaters, and they almost beat in a figure of eight, constantly, and it's a very slow beat. And, you know, they, they do a little yelling. There's a couple, there's some dogs that work, but the dogs are very tight to those beaters. And it's almost just like a slow percussion through the forest. And the, and the deer don't, aren't sprinting anywhere. They're just slowly moving. My deer was sprinting, but, (laughs) but it's, it's just, it's a very well, how can I put it? It's a very well choreographed dance it's not just this neanderthalic line of people pushing through a forest yeah and see that's where i have the i i guess distorted view of it coming from pennsylvania and the way deer drives are you know what i've grown up knowing and the way the rifle seasons are so that's why i asked that question i wasn't sure um, from the way you made it sound, it was different, and that's that's exactly what I was hoping. And, and here's what, and, and and the end of it is obvious was even more different in that once the day was over and the hunt was over, all the animals that were killed were laid out. Um, you know, woodcock was in season. Somebody killed a woodcock. Pheasant were in season. We didn't kill any pheasants. 
Um, you know, all the deer were laid out and everyone, you know, stood in a semicircle around the animals. You took your hats off. They played um, uh, different songs through the horn to, re- to show respect for the different types of animals that died. Um, very somber, very respectful, very full of culture. They built these sort of fire pyres in the four corners and the animals were within it with a big fire going in the background. There were six inches of snow on the ground. Um, just very somber, if what I could say, right? And then as soon as that was over, everyone had a task. You butchered the animals down, and you literally were, you were eating that animal for dinner that night. You know, we had backstrap. We had raw heart tartar, fresh raw heart tartar with uh, pickled beets. It was very, very good. It was the first, I, I was skeptical, but it was very good. What is um, fresh ha tata, if I, if I must ask? What is it? Yes, I'm, I'm not, I'm not oh, sorry, familiar with it's that my, term. It's, it's, my, it's my accent that's fooling you. Heart. The heart, the deer heart. Oh, okay, sorry. Okay. Heart okay. tata. And yes. tata is, is raw meat. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I I'm sorry. I did. I wasn't. Uh, I was like, what, what, what exactly is that? And okay, that makes sense. No, you can be forgiven. It's it's my <laughs> South African accent. <laughs> okay, that's that's a very interesting uh, way, and I'm sure for you that was just something completely different. And again, even you know, now that you've lived in Mississippi for quite a while, and and the hunting that that you've done even recently going outside and doing some different things. It sounds like it's still completely different than anything you've experienced. Well, I think that's the beauty of it, Bo, is that, you you know, you have this perception of what a driven hunt's supposed to be, probably like most Americans. And this was just like completely 180 degrees away from that. And it was because that's just, that's how they hunt. That's a cultural way of hunting in Denmark, but I would say likely in Europe. Um, and that's that's who we are as hunters. That's our global community of hunters. That's their blood origins. That's how their grandfathers and fathers before them taught them how to hunt. That's how they cut their teeth on hunting. And it's it's not Neanderthalic. It's not it, it's not you know, let's, let's kill every brown thing that moves out there. It's, it's very, you know, we're only killing this animal and we're only killing that. And it's just, it's, it's very managed and it's, it's tied to their heritage and it's tied to food and it's tied to food acquisition. And it's tied to everything that we talk about from a narrative perspective here in the States, from a hunting perspective, it's the same there, but just a little different in terms of how they you know, lay it all out and, and fulfill that side of hunting. So when you, when you were saying that, that the Denmark is growing, um, as far as their, their hunting and, and becoming more progressive is, is it well received in the general public, you know, from hunters to non hunters or how, how is that culture over there compared to the United States? Yeah, I would say that it's it's you know probably the same. There's, there's going to be a demographic in Denmark that hates hunting and and you know is, is the anti-hunter. Uh, I would say though that there is probably a, a 
a very large uh, new wave in Denmark of young 20-somethings, 30-somethings that it's a very progressive culture in that in, in, in of, of healthy eating, right? You can find really f- healthy food all the time in, in Copenhagen. So it makes sense that they would connect with wild game. And you can eat wild game in restaurants. So that it's an easy way to connect with with hunting and understanding where that food comes from. I think there's also a, 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 a part of the populace, 20 to 30-somethings, that we actually asked the question of one of the guys – you know, what, what is your perspective on hunting? He goes, you know, we don't care. Like, it doesn't affect us, so we don't have an opinion on it. Which is in, was which was quite interesting to hear. And I think we've also got probably that population segment here. We just we just don't tap into it. Um, but, the, you know, bow hunting is growing. Um, obviously, falconry has just started. But, you know, I don't think... I think if you ask the question that you just asked of any country, I think you're going to have the same demographic. Of, you're always going to have this group that's going to hate hunting. You're going to have this group that um, puts a bad eye, a bad seed on hunting. They're hunters, but they don't care. Um, but it seems like Denmark in that that middle fraction is where Denmark is is getting it right. That they're they're, they're very much connected to, to the resource and the food and where it comes from, and and people are eager to to harvest their own food and, and bring their own organic meat into their, into their homes. And so to me, that would be, that would be the major difference. But I, I think that that gap is closing in the States and I think just give it a couple more years and you're going to see more and more of that. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. That's, that's a, a great way of answering that. I, I just, I wasn't sure how, if it was, you know, extremely different or if it was kind of the same trend, you know, around, around the world. And, and that's from my, you know, I guess close, um, close minded. I don't want to say close minded, but my, uh, narrow view of, you know, how I grew up and, you know, the people I've met and it's amazing. I love talking to people like you and, and others from even different parts of the country in the United States alone, even as far as the, the outlook and, you know, how they grew up doing it and their, their, um, I guess, ways of, of hunting and how, how they look at it. So that's, that's very, very interesting to me to, to hear that is, is hunting something that's accessible to everyone there? Is it, is there, you know, public lands? Is there areas that most people have farms or how, how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is no, you know, it, it, it's almost follows the European model or European model, the UK model where very little public ground, you know, all private land. Typically, the the hunting has been for the quote unquote kings and queens. Um, but interestingly enough, you know, there are farmers that are interested. So it was traditional hunting in Denmark. You know, for instance, we went on a very traditional up. Uh, I would call it an upland bird hunt, but it was just a bird hunt that we were hunting crows and magpies hmm. in a field. You know, they put stuffed crow decoys out and stuffed magpie decoys out, and we were shooting crows and magpies. And uh, it's it's almost like a pest species because um, they you will attack young lambs and peck out their eyes and stuff like that. So um, that, you know, is something that's probably just a nuisance species that anybody could hunt pretty much anywhere if they got permission. 
a Danish, what I heard about Danish law is that the ocean, anything that is high, high ground water is, is open for the public to hunt. So anyone can hunt public waters in Denmark except non-residents. So you and I couldn't go and hunt open water, open ocean water, but any Dane could. Okay. Um, and there's no limits in Denmark. So if you wanted to go duck hunting, you could kill a thousand birds if you wanted. They don't have they don't have limits and stuff like that. So Okay. Is is there like um yeah, you know how in the United States that we have, you know, like a fish and game agency that and um, you know, biologists that are mm-hmm. you know, tracking the, the wildlife species and the how the herds are growing or or um I guess slowing down or how 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 is that managed there or is it? No, it's not managed at all. I had to apply through, I think it was like the Department of Wildlife Conservation or something like that. But they don't, you know, they don't have the model that we have here in the United States. They don't have, hey, let's think about selling non-resident tags and let's make the non-residents that want to come to Denmark to hunt, you know, let's make it more expensive for them to come hunting. No, my tag, my hunting license was the same price as a Denmark, as a Danish citizen would have to pay for a hunting license. And there was and, and my license didn't have any sort of tags on it. It was like, okay, you come to hunt. Yeah. Hunt whatever you want. You know, kill whatever you want. Um so they just haven't gotten there yet. They just they don't see it as a resource. They don't see it as a resource by which, oh okay, look, why don't you set up outfitters and and let people take people on their land and, and you can sell you know, hunting licenses to non-residents that, you know, would be, you know, triple the amount of money, but they would still pay it. And then you can take that money and invest it back into the resource and, and back into potentially growing your public lands and growing the resource for, for accessibility for, you know, local hunters as well as, as foreign hunters. Yeah, that's that's interesting because like I'd, when, when, you, when you sent me the email telling me that you're going to Denmark, it was just a place that I've never... Uh, came across anybody that's went to or heard of that as being a destination to hunt. So that that's why I kind of was asking that question, if it's, you know, something that's accessible um, or if it's something that, um, you know, like you said, if it's someone you know or, or anything along those lines. Yeah, it would be absolutely somebody you knew, right? You would have to be invited by somebody to hunt on their, on their grounds. Um but they're, they're trying to move in that direction. So, yeah, no, I don't get me wrong. I think it was <laughs> – I think I've done something that is, is very rare for somebody to do, and I loved it. Um, it was so unique, so different. Um, I would highly recommend somebody – find somebody that they know in Denmark and go <laughs> because they're just so friendly as well, man. You know, this guy that we hunted, he was a farmer. His name was Hence. And we hunted crows and magpies on his property. I'd met him that morning. Just was, you know, had set out, um, had set out breakfast for us. He had t- taken his 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 kid to kindergarten and set out breakfast and coffee for us. We went hunting, and then, uh, you know, the next day we went up to the driven hunt, and he arrived on Saturday, and he specifically wanted to come to the, this driven hunt versus somebody else's because of us. And when I shot the doe. He literally was, he gave me like the biggest set of hugs 
because he was just legitimately so happy for for me and and for me killing that animal and just being there and being with them it was it was it was everything it was so cool yeah that's that sounds like just such a unique experience do you do you see yourself go trying to find more hunts like that or is this oh yeah okay that's i kind of figured that from the tone of your voice but and it's so it's it's weird it's almost like yeah it's and people would laugh right because it's almost like you know people are saying okay yeah yeah i'm gonna go to um i'm gonna go to tajikistan and i'm gonna kill this massive ibex right whereas i'm like okay how can i go to iceland and pull like a cow reindeer tag and go with some people, some local Icelandic people and try and kill a reindeer on in Iceland. But it has no like, you know, I'm not going for the trophy. I'm, not, I'm just going for that. I'm going for that experience. I'm going for the people. I'm going for it's. I guess it's just a little different, a yeah. different way to, to see it and look at it and. Again, it's the lens of blood origins in that I just want to show people that, hey, these are common folks doing common things and they love it and it's part of who they are and, and part of their – essentially their, their heritage and, and their blood origins, you know? Yeah. Is this um, this film that, that you're producing off of that, when, when do you think that that will release? Um, I think we're going to – there's going to be a couple of films, one called Project Campfire, which is all of these people coming together. Uh, the guys in, that, I, that I brought over from Wales are working on that. Uh, we'll, I don't know, uh, hopefully by the summer. Uh, I want to push it out this year for sure. Um, we've got some cool Blood Origins episodes whilst we're in Denmark. I've got a Michelin star chef. His restaurant, one of his restaurants is like the one of the top consistently in the top 50 restaurants in the world and he had just become a hunter and he talked about how how he now understands the connect the connectedness to food and how through hunting he can truly and this is a, a, a line through hunting i can truly experience the greatness of food wow that's an interesting way of putting it especially from someone like you said is a top chef in the world top chef he was amazing and he gave us like he sat us down in his restaurant and just fed us it was just it was we were pinching ourselves let's just say that oh i bet that's what it sounds <laughs> like that's awesome that's it sounds like you had a, a trip of a lifetime there yeah yeah it was it was definitely a, a trip to to remember and we got all the footage for it so um yeah it was just it was it was it was everything, man. It was, it was, I'll give you one more piece that we did. So we went to a forge. They took us to a Viking forge and we forged our own knives from a, a block of steel. We forged our own knives and a legitimate knife that we sharpened and got it to, you know, raise his edge. And then I used that knife three days later and skinned the deer that I killed. Really? That's as primal as it gets, right there. I, I, I would, I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> so it's it's those kinds of experiences that now that I've gotten a taste for it, it's like okay, there must be more of these type experiences out there, and uh, you know we're going to explore them, and 
and hopefully we can keep doing that through Blood Origins and and keep and get some people interested in, in obviously funding those projects and 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 telling those stories because I think it's just a totally different side of hunting that you know people would be interested in seeing and learning about. Yeah, no, it's and like you said, in true in true Blood Origins fashion, that's it's changing the way you look at it. Like that's not something that you know I would ever imagine you know coming out of a uh any typical hunting film or a story that that you would you could even really dream up in my opinion so i'm i'm really excited to kind of see some of these projects that uh you're going to be releasing here in, in 2019 yep that's what we're known for now you know just if you if you if you can dream up a story you know blood origins is going to tell it because we're just tired of the status quo. That's that's awesome, and I I think that's uh, something that's needed. And um, from from that aspect, it's not even just from an entertainment uh, perspective. It's, it's something that's needed to to be able to show that different side. So well done on on that side of it. Is this some? How did how did you get into this whole filming aspect? Like, I mean. It doesn't sound like your background necessarily no, set no. you up for this. <laughs> well, I think I think in in inside my DNA is I'm a storyteller, so I can see stories, and so I think that that just is part of me. You know, I've been I've always been able to put, I've always been able to puzzle piece things together. That's my job, really, on a day by day basis, um, and so stories just happens to just be that is a is a is a puzzle piecing of how you put something together that is shaped differently that looks different but the filming aspect you know the, the blood origins i i had this idea of what i wanted it to look like and i just so happened to meet a very talented filmmaker or aspiring filmmaker at the time i would call him a filmmaker today but drew was somebody who i met i took him to lunch and the day that i took him to lunch here in mississippi he quit his job as he was working in a paper mill and he said man i just want to focus on my dream which is photography and videography and making films and i said well i've got this audacious project and this is what i wanted to look like and you know he he got what i wanted and uh he's been with me ever since and two years down the road he's now you know you see you've seen some of his work he's just i think he's you know one of the most talented videographers out there young and uh he's about to take the outdoor industry by storm if he hasn't already you know and yeah. so he's the video film guy and and me I'm just dabbling in it. I just I have I have the 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 foresight of this is what I want to see and I explain it to Drew and and he he captures it and and then we build it together and and this is what and and that's what you get the end and the, what you get is the end result that you see. And and know what's funny about Drew is I have a little bit of a, a background of knowing him years ago when he had started uh um, a company a long time ago, an apparel company, right? And um, it was, I, I was like when I first got into Instagram and stuff, and I saw that, and I'm like, that's a pretty cool logo. And he had was just starting up and had had uh, was doing some sort of a giveaway, and I ended up winning one of his hats. 
And <laughs> cool. uh, yeah, so it was, it was funny because then I, I went uh, rattlesnake hunting actually. And there was a, a picture of me years ago holding a, a rattlesnake and then with his hat on and, and he had shared the photo and that and him and I had talked back and forth a little bit then. And then I kind of saw how he had uh, transformed into, you know, doing the stuff with you and, and just his progression and filming and photography. That's amazing. Oh, no, it is amazing. He's super, super talented. Yeah, that's that's great to to be able to have that and and from the looks of it from your films you that uh you guys seem to work together really well. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a, it's it's the dynamic that you need. I'll say that, right? You need to have somebody who's like, "Okay, this is what I want to see. This is how I want to see it delivered." And he's he's the, got the eye to be able to deliver that and uh and also bring some some really good ideas to the table too of what it's supposed to look like. So no, it's a great team. And, uh, yeah, we're just, as I said, we've got a big 2019 planned in front of us. So, uh, stay tuned. It's, it's, it's going to be really, really good. So I guess my, my second question on that side of things is how are you finding the time to do this with managing a full-time gig as well? <laughs> that's, that's something that always interests me since, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure. an environmental and safety engineer by trade and, and uh, trying to find that time and balance is always difficult. Well, I will say two things to that. One, you need to have a, a significant other that supports your passion 1,500%. And so Lisa does that and, uh, you know, sees the passion that I have for the project. And so, yeah, really, it's it's just what you think. It's it's not it's not rocket science. It's you, you get up early, you go to work early, you get done by four o'clock, five o'clock. You put in your 40, 50, 55, sometimes 60 hours work week and you get home. And once the, once the kids are in bed. You put two or three hours into Blood Origins and uh, start again the next day. And uh, you plan your films on weekends and you go and film people and hopefully, you know, film as many as you can for the time that you have and find very cheap flight deals to different parts of the world and country. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that's how we've done it thus far. And, uh, you know, it's it's it's... It's just what I know, right? It's just how my dad raised me. And you work hard and you reap the rewards from it. You're not going to get anything from sitting on your butt. So go to work hard and we work hard for what we do at work to be able to afford this this side project and this passion project. And we work hard at the passion project too. So it's also good to have somebody like Drew that, you know, videography is almost like his full-time gig. So you know, he can do a lot of the, the heavy lifting from an editing perspective. Uh, and I can just do the sort of touching up and, and, and redirecting as needed, you know, late at night or first things in the morning, whatnot. And, and we work pretty good because he's a late night owl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'll often have things waiting for me when I wake up at four in the morning. And so I'll send that back to him and he'll only get up, you know, a little later in the morning. And <laughs> it's a pretty good dynamic. That's that's good, and I, I always I always like to hear that um, side of things. Like you said, with myself and the project here with East meets West and everything, and how much time it takes, 
and you know with working a full-time job as you do and everything and and sometimes when I'm you know struggling with it or, or doing anything else it's always reassuring to hear you know other people that are going through it and and when it's a passion that you, you make it happen you know that's exactly right if it's a passion you'll make time for it and you'll you know you'll figure it out and but it's also about balance and you know you don't have a family yet but once you have a family you'll you know, you have to figure out balance and you have to figure out compromise. And, you know, if you're, you know, as I often do, I'm away for, you know, three or four days in a row, then I'll come home and, you know, I'll take the kids away from, from the wife for, for the afternoon or, you know, go have the day off, you know, I'll take care of the kids today kind of thing. So it's a, it's a definite balance and a definite compromise. Yeah. I, um, that's something I'm going to have to learn. I'm gonna have to learn that, Robbie. <laughs> I can tell you, <laughs> compromise and balance isn't necessarily my necessarily my strong suit. So I'm working on it. But <laughs> uh, we all are every day, every yep, day, every day. It's a it's a focus of mine that uh, that I'll, I'll get to it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's awesome, uh, Robbie. Thanks for sharing one that story of. Uh, your Denmark hunt there and the, the unique um, just culture of that as well as, you know, your vision here with blood origins. And, and I was going to ask, you know, what, what we'd expect to see from blood origins going forward, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure you've kind of covered a, a lot of that. Is there anything else you want to add as far as anything, a little bit of a kind of a teaser thing or, or anything else you see with the vision? Um, you know, what you're hopefully going to see in 2019 from a sort of our bread and butter perspective, our episodes is, uh, hopefully a couple more mainstreamers. Um, so people that are almost have feet in both, in both a hunting world and in an, another world. Uh, so for instance, we we we're going to film a, a professional skateboarder who is a ridiculously avid hunter, um, so we're going to we're going to be bringing people forward that again just like we've done before are going to come out of left field that you're going to go whoa I didn't know that that guy was a hunter or hey man that person's story is just incredible. And so we're just going to keep doing that. We're going to we're going to keep people guessing and you're just not going to know what's coming next. And um it's going to be either a mainstreamer or a known hunter or a complete unknown hunter or a complete unknown non-hunter. Uh, we filmed a couple of non-hunters already, and, and those episodes tend to be just as well-received as the hunting episodes. Um, I had a, actually a, a non-hunting uh, female reach out to me on Facebook and said, man, because of your project, I never had this idea about you know hunters the way that you've been talking about hunters. And uh, she's very articulate, and I said, would you mind – us filming like your that reaction of you about like what it meant and she was like no no problems so we've got that coming you know we've got it's going to be it's going to be varied it's going to be different it's going to be just what you expect from blood origins and more so stay tuned that's perfect that's what I, that's what i was uh hoping to hear there i'm like i said i'm i'm excited to see it and kind of changing the the status quo with it and it's something that you know i strive to do with the the podcast and everything you know there's there's no shortage of hunting podcasts out there these days and it seems like there's you know more coming out every day and i i strive to be different with it and be able to tell a different story and help people in a you know it's almost of a, a niche 
uh, field and really, you know, again, bring, you know, some people that are more mainstream involved, but also dig and find these people that are, that are just if, if just as, if not more, you know, inspiring and have stories to tell that are, that are, uh, you know, not out there for anyone else to hear unless they, you know, besides the fact that I'm interviewing them and, and, you know, talking about their unique styles and experiences. So that's, that's definitely, um, you know, your project and stuff is definitely one, um, from a little bit of a different avenue that, that I look up to and, and strive to, to, you know, model a little bit from that and take some stuff from it. Well, I, that, I appreciate that. That's, you know, um, that's what we try to do. So thanks, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. So Robbie, would you like to, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but do you want to give the listeners a place where they can find all of your content and find some of these stories and, and journeys and, and films? Yeah, really easy. Uh, just type in Blood Origins into any of your social media platforms or uh, website, you know, just bloodorigins.com, type in Blood Origins into YouTube. You can, e- it's even, we've made it even easier for you. Just type in Blood Origins into Google and we should pop up. All of the front page of Google should be us. So uh, <laughs> hats off to my, uh, social, my, my media marketing team, Stone Road Media. They're doing a great SEO job for me. <laughs> that's, that's great. And that's, uh, that's perfect. So, well, I will put all that information into the show notes on this awesome. episode Thank here. You. So thank you again, Robbie, for coming on. Is there any, any last words that you would like to put on here before I ask you my question? My final question. Uh, you know, I, all I would say is, is ch- everybody listening, challenge yourself to be narrative changes. Challenge the status quo. You don't have to be what you think the industry thinks you need to be. You know, be narrative changes. Be different. Love it. So the last question I'm going to ask you here, Robbie, and I'm really interested to hear your response, is how do you define adventure? How do I define adventure? Uh, I would define adventure as the wading into the unknown with an expectation of opportunity. I like it. I like it. Short and to the point and a very... Oh, something you can think of into in a, <laughs> in a much deeper way in in a in a short verbiage there. I like it. I and again, that's why I I like uh, kind of catching people off guard a little bit with it. And I ask you know all of my guests that at the end of the podcast because it's interesting to hear everyone's different perspectives on that. And it's funny how um, a lot of them end up tying into each other. I I I like that. I like that answer a lot. Thank you, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Robbie, thank you again so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule here to sit down and, and talk to me and, and share this story with us that uh, that hasn't been told yet. I'm really excited to see some of these upcoming films coming out, and I really urge everyone to check out that your films on bloodorigins.com or any of the other uh, tracks where you can find that content and and videos and and social media there because it's uh something that that um 
is definitely needed in this industry. So thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, Robbie. Well, you have a good evening. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.